Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. He charged me with resisting arrest. She is- Get that confidence in jail. I object. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Allegedly Bravo. I'm Lauren. And today we're getting like into a super big topic. I'm getting deep into the OJ Simpson trial. But before we get started, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Leave a five-star review. Share it with a friend. Obviously, that's like the number one thing you should always be doing. Um, head on over to Instagram and check out my page and I don't know, everything else that you ever wanted to do. Okay, let's get into it. This is just, I have so many notes, so I, I don't want to waste, I don't want to waste any time. So who is OJ Simpson? OJ Simpson is a man who was like an incredible, an incredible football legend his name is Orenthal, and that was the name given to him by his auntie. And it's a name of a French actor that she liked. But he was called OJ ever since birth and didn't know that the O stood for stood for Orenthal until he was in like third grade. I think that's a red flag. I'm just saying. Um, he was born and raised in San Francisco, California. He had a mom named Eunice. She's just like this nice lady she was a mother and a hospital administrator and then he had this dad named jimmy lees and jimmy was a federal reserve bank employee and a well-known drag queen i don't know if you knew that i had no idea i had no idea so that was i thought that that was fun but then he later came out in as in life as gay which like i'm so glad he got to live part of his life out and about and in full however he wanted to live, but he unfortunately died of AIDS in 1986, so that's really sad. Really sad. Um, OJ had brothers and sisters, a brother named Melvin, a sister named Shirley, and another sister named Carmelita. I love that name. Hello, Carmelita. That's such a cute name. So OJ, I didn't know this either. 
OJ had a disease called rickets. And that means he wore braces on his legs until he was five. It's a condition that causes like weak or soft bones. And you can either have it because your genetics predispose you to it. Or you get it because you have a dietary deficiency. I'm not too sure why OJ had it. I, I'm not sure. I know he grew up in a housing project called Potero Hill. And he joined a street gang as a young lad. Um, he's been known as one of the greatest running backs of all time. And if you gave me a million dollars and said, tell me what a running back does, and I'll let you keep this a million dollars, I would say, no, I can't. I have no fucking clue. Uh, maybe he runs. I don't know. I know the quarterback catches the ball. I, you know, he started at USC and he won a Heisman Trophy which means the most outstanding player in college football. And, like, it's just crazy that they call it, like, a Heisman Trophy. Like, they make it such a big deal. I remember when I was in high school, I played water polo. And we had a – it was either water polo or swimming, unclear. I think it must have been swimming. There was this award that they would give out at the end of every year called the Work Horse Award. And it was a statue that was like a Barbie horse. And if you did your best, you got to have the workhorse award. And that, I was like, okay, funny, haha, laugh, joke. Like, this is a horse. Obviously, it's funny. But this Heisman Trophy thing seems to be taken very seriously within the football community. And I would just challenge you guys to, like, relax a little and try a workhorse award and try just like putting a Barbie horse on a block and calling it a day because I don't know why people care so much about this sport. It's weird to me. It's like there are so many other sports that are a lot more fun. So I don't want to understand why everyone's like, oh my God, this trophy. He used to have it. Now he does it. It's just like, who gives a fuck? Anyway, a lot of people give a fuck. And um, he was the most outstanding college football player. Yahoo! Then he did 11 seasons of the MF, the MFL, <laughs> the NFL, primarily with this team called the Buffalo Bills. Um, he won a ton of awards, yada, 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 whoopie doo da, like, great. It's like, why do we, I'm sorry, just to get back on this high horse, like, I don't go around asking everyone, like, hi, when's the last time you won employee of the year? When's the last time you were employee of the month? Like, why do I give a fuck what, how good he did at work? I, it's just weird. It's just weird. Um, But I guess he won a bunch of awards, and then he retired in 1979. (sighs) That sounds like a fun time to retire. Like, you retire at the top of your league, like all these little awards that everyone cares about, and you just did a really good job for a long time. He's probably rich as fuck. I'm not really sure. And then to retire right before the 80s start. I mean, he must have done so many drugs, don't you think? I think everybody did. But... Anyway, then he did a bunch of acting, which to me says he was like the OG, oh shoot, was it John Cena? You know, I think it was like, first it was OJ, then it was John Cena. Well, I guess before that it was The Rock and still is The Rock. And then now it's John Cena, but maybe isn't so much John Cena. I'm ready for a woman to take over for the role of that part, you know? Anyway. He did a bunch of acting, yada, yada, yada. He was in the Naked Gun 
trilogy, which was really funny. And he was also a commentator for Monday Night Football and the show called The NFL on NBC. And it's like so presumptuous that they're like, oh, you should know what the NFL stands for and what NBC stands for. Like, fuck off. I don't go around telling everyone like you should learn what ABC stands for. You know, like you and your little acronyms can just stop assuming that we all know what it is that you're talking about. And they all start with N. And then, but they don't even give, like, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Like, how about you try to learn that? How about we do the R-H-O-S-L-C on BTV? Then I'll be impressed. But you you guys only can do three letters and they both start with an N. Come on. Be more creative and also spell it out every once in a while. It's presumptuous, in my opinion. Okay, but before we get into the 1994... Murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. Um, I guess there's really not much we can do before that. So let's just get into it. So OJ met Nicole Brown Simpson in 1979. So he was still working when they met. And not only was he still working, she was also working as a waitress at a nightclub called The Daisy. And it was like one of those member only nightclubs. So it wasn't necessarily like a it's nightclub, but more of like a ooh, 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 bougie, bougie, bougie nightclub from what I could gather. I also was not there. I was not alive at that time. But this gives me very Erica Jane vibes because it's like she was that wait- waitress at, what was it called? Chasen's, like Fancy Pants Grill. And he was like a high, a big time magazine editor. And they met kind of like this, you know, Um, but OJ and Nicole, what so happened was OJ wasn't necessarily single at the time that him and Nicole had met. Him and Nicole met while he was still married to his first wife, but they didn't care. They just dated anyway. So Nicole and OJ didn't get married until 1985, which is a long time to be together. From 1977 to 1985 is like eight years. So then they get married. They have two kids, Sydney and Justin. Then they were married for seven years and they got divorced in 1992. I was a bebe. I was one years old. During this divorce, Nicole alleged domestic violence by OJ Simpson, which I read some some of the transcripts and it really was not great. I mean, OJ Simpson was scary. I'll have to link some of the transcripts. I'll put them up on the website so you guys can go check them out yourself. Like, there was a transcript of a 911 call where she was, like, trying to hide from him. And the the um, 911 person was like, so what does this, what does um, OJ look like? And she's like, uh, he's OJ Simpson. I'm sure you know what he looks like. I mean, she was like, hello, duh. Which, I mean, come on, hello, duh. But. I wouldn't know him. I wouldn't know him. Now I would. Only because of what he did or didn't do. Depends on who you are and what you're talking about. So anyway, he allegedly domestic uh, uh, committed domestic violence against Nicole, which I can just go ahead and say, I don't know if that's alleged. I think that's just straight out the truth. Um, according to a police report, there was a huge incident that happened on New Year's Day in 1989, um, 
where Nicole really like harbored a lot of resentment towards OJ over it and called it the New Year's beating. Um, so I don't necessarily think that was a great day. Um, and according to the police report, OJ Simpson shouted, I don't want that woman in my bed anymore, which I think they could have written down a lot worse. Okay. Not to sound like Raquel from Vanderpump Rules. I think I could have, what I would have done would have been like a lot worse. Um, but it just seems like they could have written down a little more. Um, anyway, the bummer of this whole thing is Nicole's father actually encouraged her to reconcile with OJ and stay in this relationship with him because OJ hooked him up with this opportunity to invest in, wait for it, a lucrative Hertz rental car facility. Because believe it or not, OJ was big in the rental car industry. And by that, I mean, like he was the face of Hertz. Um, I didn't know that. Obviously, I didn't care much about Hertz rental car when I was one years old or so, because like, why would I couldn't drive? That would be at least three more years. Um, but you know, it's just sad. Like he obviously like valued the money and it's sad. He clearly valued the money over Nicole's happiness, which is a bummer. But the Hertz in, in, you know, in Nicole's father's, I don't know, in respect to Nicole's father's excitedness over this car facility, like it was at the Ritz-Carlton of Monarch Bay. So maybe these Hertz were like some big, big number items and he was going to make a fuck ton of money. But I still feel like you should choose your daughter over a Hertz rental car business. Just seems trashy. On. Okay, this is the big day. This is trigger warning. Trigger warning. The rest of the episode is not going to go well. Okay, the rest of this episode is going to be about some violent shit. So if you don't want to listen, go ahead and not listen. That's fine with me. Just make sure you're subscribed so you can hear the next one. Um, But if you're going to keep listening, we're going to get into this crazy vicious murder and how OJ was or was not involved, depending on who you believe and what we're talking about. So on June 12, 1994, Nicole Brown Simpson, she was 35 years old at the time, and her friend, Ron Goldman, who was 25 years old at the time, I mean, a baby, they were found stabbed to death outside of Nicole's condo in the Brentwood neighborhood. So Brentwood is this area on the west side of Los Angeles, and to kind of place it, it's about, well, it's hard to say it in minutes, but it's also hard to say it in miles, but maybe... With no traffic, like a 15-minute drive from Santa Monica and directly in the same vicinity as, like, how would you say? Like the Getty Center. Do you guys, I'm sure you know where the Getty Center is. It's right off Sunset, the Sunset Exit of the 405. I went to college right behind the Getty Center at this small little all-girls private school called Mount St. Mary's College. It was so fun. Loved it. Highly recommend it. Go for it. Go there. It's all girls. It was, which was like weird because I came from a really big high school that was girls and boys and was a public school. And then to go to a private school that was all girls and like nuns taught some of my classes. I was like, what the fuck? But it was actually really fun and 
one of the best times of my life. So highly recommend it if you guys want to go there. But that's where Brentwood is. And it's a beautiful neighborhood, super rich. Lots of celebrities live there and lots of really rich people live there. And that's where Nicole lived um, in a condo over there. Nicole was found outside of her home and she was stabbed seven times sometime after 10 p.m. on June 12th. She had one gash across her throat that severed her left and right carotid arteries and breached her right and left jugular. So I was a nursing major for a couple minutes and then couldn't, I just couldn't cut it. Those of you who are nurses, I just, God bless you. I couldn't do it. So I believe these are on either side of her neck, the carotid artery and the jugular. Um, So that's really upsetting. She also had some defensive wounds. And this one is really gross, you guys. Please skip forward five seconds. She had a wound penetrating her cervical vertebrae. Okay, it almost decapitated her. So this woman was not treated very nicely. This woman, this was a crime of passion. Um, And then Ron Goldman, the 25-year-old friend, he was stabbed about 30 times. That's a fuck ton of times. Think about doing something like that 30 times repetitively. That's hard. You would get tired. You might need to be strong or impassioned to do such a thing. So they were found, these bodies were found after midnight. So approximately two hours after the crime happened, by one of Nicole's neighbors who heard her dog howling. And this dog was a little Akita, which is like one of those teeny tiny little mini looking like huskies. And um, they're pretty cute. But the dog was howling and the neighbor was like, what the fuck's going on? And they saw the dog with blood on its tummy and its paws and then was like, what the fuck? And called 911 and the rest is history. So... How did we get here? How did Ron, why was Ron at Nicole's house? Why was Nicole at at her condo instead of doing something else? What's going on? So earlier that day, Nicole and OJ drove separately, but met together at Paul Revere. I believe it was middle school, maybe elementary school um, for the daughters, Sydney's like rehearsal thing. And she was doing some sort of little singing thing, you know, how they do at the school. So she's doing this thing. OJ and Nicole are divorced at the time, but OJ comes to support the daughter. Nicole's supporting the daughter. Nicole's parents are there to, like, also support their granddaughter. They only see each other there, and then they go home for the day. According to OJ, he went to Mickey D's after with his friend Cato, who, weirdly enough, That's what Nicole's Akita's name was. It was also Kato. Why? She named it after this guy. Because he was just like this house guest of hers that just like became friends with OJ and they stayed friends and the kids loved him and Kato just was like a household kind of guy and the kids loved him and ended up naming the dog after him. So that's, you know small that's how that's how close of a relationship all these people had so the dog so according to oj and to kato kato and oj after that whole shindig at the school went over to mickey d's and got some big macs and had some yummy food 
and just such a good time and then went home and that was that. Well, according to the facts, that's not necessarily what happened because now there are two people who are dead. So piecing the story together, after Nicole and her parents left the Paul Revere Elementary School, they went to this restaurant called Mezzaluna. And Mezzaluna was like a little, it was like a little Italian cafe, bistro vibes, walking distance from Nicole's condo. So her and her mom went there and Ron Goodman, the 25-year-old who was also stabbed 30 times, was a waiter there and he greeted them. He didn't wait on them, but he's all, oh, hey, Nicole, yada, 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 welcome, sit down, blah, blah, blah. Nicole and her mom ate dinner and they left and they went back to Nicole's house and then Nicole's mom gets home and goes, fuck, I left my fucking sunglasses at Mezzaluna. And so Nicole's like, oh, shit. Okay, well, let's just call because like we obviously know these people. Okay, fine. Let's call. Ring, ring. Hi, it's Mezzaluna. And she's like, oh, my God. My mom left her sunglasses. And Ron was like, you know, have no fear. We're all friends. It's walking distance. I'll just bring them over to your house when my shift is over. And nobody thought that was weird because he he was friendly. Like, it wasn't like they were in love or dating or whatever. Like, it was just, like, completely platonic friends. So, great. Later... After a couple, I don't know, maybe not too long after that, someone posted a sign outside of the Mezzaluna restaurant that said, don't forget your sunglasses. Ooh, yeah, because then you don't want the waiter to go and end up being stabbed by O.J. Simpson. So obviously O.J. Simpson becomes immediately a person of interest. Why? It's always the husband who does it, right? I mean, that's like the number one rule. Except for when it's not. So whenever you're on a jury, don't go in and immediately think that. Okay, I just have to say that as someone who works in criminal defense. All right. Let's actually take a quick break. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Okay, so OJ's immediately a person of interest. So they're like, where the fuck is this guy? Because these people are dead and we need to figure out where this guy is. He's like one of the last people who's seen her alive. He was actually on board American Airlines Flight 668 from LAX to Chicago. And he took off from LAX at 10, I'm sorry, 11.45. So remember, they thought the killings happened around 10.00. 
The bodies were discovered around uh, noon, midnight. This man was on a flight around 1145 from LAX. He took an airport limo from his house. So the limo actually left the estate, OJ's estate, an hour and a half late. The limo driver's name was Alan Park. He he called his boss at 1025. He shows up at 10. Hello, OJ, like we have to get to LAX. Like, duh, there's traffic and you're trying to catch a fucking flight, you moron. He's not there, not there. No one's coming. Rings the doorbell. No one answers. So Alan Park calls his boss and he's like, what the hell? They're like, well, just keep waiting there. So he's like, fine. So then around 1056, this is how long this man's been waiting. I'm sorry, OJ, but... Whether you're killing someone or not, like, don't be so fucking entitled with someone's time. I'm sure that man wanted to go drop you off at the airport and then move on with his life. But instead, you had him waiting there to be your fucking getaway car. And now his entire life is probably turned upside down. He didn't ask to be a part of that. OJ, that's selfish. I think that's incredibly selfish. So while he was waiting there until 1056... For 56 minutes, he saw someone that he uh, just assumed, obviously, because it's OJ's house, to be OJ, enter through, like, a side door. And in his statement to the cops when he was asked about this um, trip to Chicago, OJ said that the limo was supposed to be there at 1045. Normally, they get there a little earlier. I was rushing somewhere between there and 11. So OJ tries to paint it like the the car didn't even get there until 1045 or 11 when Alan was like, no, bro, I was fucking there at 10 trying to get your ass to LAX on time. And I, anyone who's ever been to LAX knows that, like, fuck you, OJ, for even considering making that task even more difficult than it already is. It's just so entitled And he should have been convicted just for that. That's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. Oh, here. (laughs) Okay, so the police call OJ at this hotel that he's staying at, the O'Hare Plaza Hotel. And mind you, OJ was at O'Hare for this Hertz rental car company convention because apparently in the 90s, Hertz was all the rage. I beg of you, adults from the 90s, I was a baby who didn't care about driving. Why was Hertz the big deal? Were you guys just going around renting cars all of the time? Why did it matter that OJ was the Hertz guy? Because this has come up quite a bit in my research and it's making me laugh. So he's at the Hertz Rental Car Company convention, which is another question that I have. Like, what is happening at this convention? It's so is it just all the different car manufacturers getting together and being like, hi, Hertz, do you need a minivan in stock in like all of your little facilities? Well, we have the town and country. Or is it like, hi, we're Hertz and you guys are all little hotels and we're going to put we're going to put our little rental car companies inside of you, which sounds gross. What is it? What is a rental car company convention? Any hoodles would love to know. It sounds really lame. 
So they call him there at this convention to let him know that Nicole's dead, which is just the thing you want to hear when you're at the rental car company convention, that now all of a sudden your ex-wife is dead. And you're a person of interest. Now, this is important. In grief, it overtook him, and OJ smashed a glass. And in doing so, he cut his left hand. Important. Okay, what did he say about this? Well, in his initial statement to police, when they asked him, like, yo, where'd you get that cut on your hand? This is So the guy who interviewed him and took the statement is Officer Van Natter. Officer Van Natter goes, how'd you get the injury on your hand? OJ goes, I don't know. First time when I was in Chicago and all, but at the house I was just running around. If this doesn't make any sense to you, it's because it doesn't make any fucking sense because OJ's trying to cover up the fact that he stabbed people a bunch of times and then like went on an airplane and was all calm, cool, and collected. All right, so it's not because I can't read. It's because he's trying to lie. All right, so how did you do it in Chicago? And OJ goes, I broke a glass. One of you guys had just called me, and I was in the bathroom, and I kind of just went bonkers for a little bit. And the other officer goes, is that how you cut it? And OJ goes, "Mm, it was cut before, but I think it just opened again. I'm not sure. And Lang goes, do you recall bleeding at all in your truck in the Bronco? And OJ goes, I recall bleeding at my house and when I went to the Bronco. The last thing I did before I left when I was rushing was went and I got my phone out of the Bronco. Now, I will also link this transcript on the website because, oh my God, you would think that it was the number one advertisement for Bronco. Every other word. Oh, so it was in the Bronco? Yeah, I left it in the Bronco. Oh, really? Why were you taking the Bronco? Oh, because my car phone? My car phone was in the Bronco. It's like, you guys are like really weird. What is with men? I don't know. Sorry. It's weird. So later in the statement, the officer goes, OJ, we've got sort of a problem. OJ goes, "Mm mm-hmm. And the officer goes, we've got some blood on and in your car. And we've got some blood at your house and sort of a problem. And OJ goes, well, take a, take my blood test. And the other officer goes, well, we'd like, we'd like to do that, actually. We've got, of course, the cut on your middle finger that you aren't real clear on. Do you recall having that cut on your finger the last time you were at Nicole's house? And it's like... This guy just is like so evasive of the question of how did you get a fucking cut on your finger? And it's like if you just found out that your ex-wife was had her throat slit and that her friend was stabbed 30 times and you randomly had cuts on your hand, I would be like trying to know exactly where I got those cuts, right? I don't know. It's just like the audacity. But I guess the audacity works sometimes because I don't think I have to spoil it for you guys to know he doesn't get convicted of this crime at all. So in OJ's statement, this is this is the one major thing. And like, of course, it ended up working out for this guy. But I'm going to read you something that should never happen to you. It should never fucking happen to you. Okay, ready? The officer goes. This is from the very beginning of OJ's statement. The officer starts by going, Okay, prior to us talking to you, as we agreed with your attorney, I'm going to give you your constitutional rights. 
and I would like you to listen carefully. If you don't understand anything, tell me, okay? OJ goes, all right. The officer goes, okay, Mr. Simpson, which I can't lie. Like, whenever I read Mr. Simpson, I immediately start thinking of Jessica and Ashley's dad and definitely not OJ. Okay, Mr. Simpson, you have the right to remain silent. If you give up the right to remain silent, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to speak to an attorney and to have an attorney present during the questioning. If you so desire and cannot afford one, an attorney will be appointed to you without charge before questioning. Do you understand your rights? OJ, yes, I do. Officer, are there any questions about that? OJ, unintelligible. I'm sure he was like, well, fuck this. I'm just hungry. I'm tired. I want another Big Mac. I didn't get the ranch. They forgot the blah, blah, blah. And the officer goes, okay, you've got to speak up louder than that. Like, this officer's not fucking around. And OJ goes, okay, no, I don't have any questions. The officer's like, do you wish to give up your right to remain silent and talk to us? And OJ goes, uh, yes. (laughs) Okay, what an idiot. And then the officer goes, okay, and do you give up your right to have an attorney present while we talk? And then OJ goes... Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. (sighs) I don't give a fuck what you did or didn't do. If someone says, hey, it's your God-given right to remain silent, you fucking should. That's just your, that's your clue. If someone says, listen, you don't have to talk to us, great, then I won't. Then I won't. And then when they say, do you want to have your attorney present? Yes, you do want to have your attorney present. You do. And also the cops can lie to you. They're allowed to lie to you. They're allowed to be like, well, we already know that you did that thing. And someone already told us and we already have all the evidence against you. So we already know that. And you could be like, really? And they're like, yeah, we we know everything that you already did. So you might as well tell us you're going to get even more trouble. You might as well just tell us, be honest, be honest. And then you're like, okay, well, I robbed the grocery store and then I like did wire fraud. Just shut the fuck up. If someone tells you, you don't have to talk, don't talk, don't talk. And if someone tells you like you can have an attorney present and we'll give you a free one if you can't afford one, take them up on the offer. I mean, that's just like, hello, Duh. Duh. If you're ever asked those questions, you better feel like a fucking idiot if you waive your rights. I'm just saying. And I hope that you know that when when you're being asked those questions, you have the right to remain silent. Do you want to waive that right? You better hear me in your little ear going, don't you fucking dare. Don't you fucking dare. And if someone asks you, do you want to give up the right to have an attorney present? We'll buy you one. You better hear me on the other side of your shoulder go, I will fucking kill you if you say yes. Don't do it. Have an attorney present and and always remain silent. Just until someone who has your best interests at heart, like, it's like, you can answer that, okay? Just get someone who's thinking, because you're not thinking if you're charged with murder. You're just not. I don't care who you are. You're not thinking. 
You're under a lot of stress. Let someone else think for you, okay? Just stop talking to the police. It drives me nuts. And then people are like, well, if I'm not guilty, I want them to know. They don't care. They don't care if you're not guilty. Watch one true crime documentary, y'all. Nobody cares if you're not guilty if they're the police. They don't care. They just want to put someone behind bars because because everyone wants to put a bad person behind bars and you're the bad person they can blame. I'm just saying. Okay, anyway, anyway, anyway. I, I need to get off my soapbox. <sighs> so OJ is like agreeing like, hey, we got to turn ourselves in. His attorneys are like, you got to turn yourself in. Let's just. Rip off the band-aid. They want they want you. You're the person of interest. Turn yourself in June 17th. Well, OJ was like, I actually don't want to turn myself in. And OJ became the subject of a 45-minute car chase down the five freeway in a 1993 Ford Bronco. Around 620. PM, a motorist in Orange County, my hometown, saw OJ Simpson riding around in the white Bronco of his friend, Al. I think his name's Al. Yeah, Al Crowlings, and notified the police. So his teammate and friend, Al, was driving. It was Al's car, Al's driving. And Al's like on the phone with the police. He's like, okay, OJ's in the back of this car. He's got a pistol to his head saying he'll shoot himself if I don't take him to his Brentwood estate. Soon, dozens of police cars are following him. We've got Santa Ana PD, Orange County Sheriff, the CHP, which is the California Highway Patrol. Like, all of them are just, like, on the tail of this Ford Bronco. However, this Ford Bronco is, like, going 65 miles an hour as though they put it on fucking cruise control. Like, it was not creeping up above that. It might have crept down below that, but they were, like, going the speed limit, which is impressive on the 5 freeway, especially at 620. I'm like, wow, this really goes to show you how terrible and awful the traffic has become. Because imagine if someone was going 65 miles an hour on the 5 freeway at 620 in this day and age. That would be a miracle. A goddamn miracle. Imagine a high-speed chase on the 5 at 6.20 p.m. Oh, my God, the traffic. Oh, my God, the traffic. So all these people are coming. The news helicopters are up in, in the sky. And there's a bunch of curious members of the public who are, like, following the pursuit. And this was, like, the kickoff of... Pursuit of like vehicle pursuits being televised and all that. Like OJ really started a trend there. All these all these members of the community are standing above the overpasses, cheering him on. They had signs. They're like, "Fuck yeah!" So let's take a little peeky deek at what this what this car chase was like. Okay. Now police radio is saying that Simpson has a gun at his head. Police radio is saying that Simpson, the passenger in the car, has a gun at his head. Mm. Oh no. Which has explained why they haven't been stopping and why they haven't moved up alongside. Oh no. Mm. The voice saying, oh no, is John Mack, president of the LA Urban League. If you've just joined us, this is Larry King live in Washington. 
reviewing a car apparently being driven by Al Cowling, one of OJ's oldest friends and a former teammate at Southern Cal. I just have to say, Larry King has never had as much hair as he does in this. Okay, where are you? Please, I'm coming up the five freeway. Okay. Right now, we all, we all okay, but you gotta tell the police to just back off. He's still alive, but he got a gun to his head. Okay, hold on a minute. Monica? He just wanna see his mother. Let me get into the house. Okay, hold on a moment. Monica? What's your name? My name is AC. You know who I am, goddammit. Okay. Alrighty, sir, hold on just a moment. Oh, do you know who I am? I'm Reese Witherspoon. Hi, what's your name? Hello? The Highway Patrol does not want to intimidate, and I repeat, do not want to intimidate this vehicle into doing anything that uh, they really don't want them to do. And the main thing is to get him pulled over as safely as possible. And there's only a couple ways that'll happen. One is him just pulling over and or running out of gas. So at this point, we can only pray that uh, they'll be able to pull this off in a safe measure. So this was like overtaking two counties, the county of, of L.A., Orange County. Like, I mean, people were lining overpasses like this was incredible. Like, I don't even know how to compare it because I don't watch sports. But like, would it be like if Tom Brady pulled this? Would, is that what it would be like? I don't know. Let me know. That's how I'm picturing it. Like as if Tom Brady, as if like Gronk is driving and like, I don't know. I just know Gronk because his girlfriend's a dancer. Like, is, do they even go together? Gronk and Tom Brady? I think they both play football. Anyway, the, the news actually interrupted the 1994 NBA. Another one of those goddamn acronyms that I think are from the patriarchy. The 1994 NBA Finals to broadcast this entire incident live. And in a callback to Sydney's school name, this ride was called the most famous ride on American shores since Paul Revere's. Wow. Wowdy, wowdy, wow. So let's see how this ended up being squashed. I mean, it, it really shows you like how incredibly large this car chase was. I mean, this must have spanned over 60 miles. As he travels northbound on the 405, and we can only assume that he, he plans switched to get freeways off from the 5 to the 405. Perhaps his home. He's moving over now, Eric, moving over to the right, which means he may take that Sunset Boulevard off-ramp. Which He's you know is the exit to go to Mount St. Right Mary's lane. College and the Getty Center. Uh, Craig, are we approaching Sunset Boulevard now? Yes, we are now. Okay, we are approaching Sunset Boulevard. There's some static. It was the 90s, you guys. You have to forget the static. All right, Eric. Eric, it looks, it appears now as though he is getting, as I recall, there are two lanes on the on uh, the Sunset Boulevard off-ramp. He is in one of them, and that's There's the There's like 900 lanes now. He is looks like he's getting off there. Okay, Hal, it looks like uh, he is getting off at the uh, off-ramp at Sunset. All right. Okay. Uh, getting off. He's on the off-ramp now, coming up uh, coming up the off-ramp uh, at Sunset. Lots of uh, people at the uh, overpass at Sunset, and possibly here will be a westbound turn uh, en route to Brentwood. That's right. It looks he's like he's go. in the left lane now. Yeah. Uh, making, uh, making a left turn. The, the intersection is uh, free, and he's clear. 
and now making okay. a turn. Okay, obviously this is an uh, audio format. The street right is riddled right. with people running around, people on rollerblades because it's the 90s, like riddled Sunset Boulevard, cheering on this car. I don't know how he's going to be able to drive through all those people. All along Sunset Boulevard, there are people stopped as well ahead of the chase. We can only assume he's going to his, his home on Rockingham in Brentwood. Okay, Eric, that uh, that's... Uh, okay, the other thing you have to realize is, like, Brentwood is oddly small-town vibes in a big city. I don't know how else to explain it. Like, so many celebrities live there, and if you're not a celebrity, you, like, know... People know who you are because you're living next to celebrities. Like, anyone would know it's O.J. Simpson. Like, everybody knows, oh, that's where O.J. lives. Everyone knows that's O.J.'s car. Like, everyone knows this is O.J.'s neighborhood. Like, these people cannot get away from anybody. Like, the streets are fucking swarms. They know exactly where to go. They know exactly how to get there. And in this hot pursuit, it went from... We don't know if this is OJ in this car to, okay, we are confirmed that this is OJ in this car and he's either homicidal, suicidal, or both to OJ's headed back home to the streets are fucking riddled with people shouting out support, all this stuff. And this was hot off the heels of the Rodney King riots. And so... You know, it was a little unsettled, the area. That's what it was. So OJ's legal team consisted of Johnny Cochran, Rob Kardashian, Rob Shapiro, and F. Lee Bailey. And for the prosecution, this woman named Marsha Clark, she was the main prosecutor. So the prosecution focused on two main pieces of evidence. The first being the glove that was in OJ's possession, that matched the glove that was also found at the scene of the crime and also the DNA evidence that linked OJ to the scene of the crime. The prosecutor's theory was that in the course of murdering Nicole and Ron, OJ had to cut his hand and the drops of blood from that cut are the ones that were found at the crime scene leading away from the crime scene and also at OJ's house. They also theorized that blood spratter transferred from Nicole and Ron when OJ was allegedly killing them. And then that got onto OJ's car and on himself um, and from the glove that was found behind his house that was saturated in blood. It sounds like a strong legal case, doesn't it? So then the defense had two main points also. So their main point, number one, was all this evidence has been mishandled. That there was substantial evidence that there was a mishandling of this evidence by the LAPD. And that included evidence that the officials lacked training in collecting and in packaging the evidence and failed to show that they followed protocols like changing their gloves in between handling evidence, which would like promote contamination. Further evidence showed that vials of blood that were collected from Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman that were like used for testing were somehow contaminated with OJ Simpson's blood. And 
we'll hear later on, there were vials of blood that were supposed to be transported from, like, person to lab to person to lab. It's called, like, a chain of custody, and you have to be able to track where this piece of evidence has been and everyone who's touched it and at what time they touched it. And they showed that at the beginning of collection, this vial of blood was filled all the way to the tippity top, and that somehow, in between the time it went from collection to testing, about a third of the blood was gone. And then it later came out that some that the person who had the blood in between collection and testing went from the crime scene directly to OJ's house, which obviously led the jurors to believe, like, well, how do we know this mofo isn't just sprinkling the blood willy-nilly? How do we know? So then um, they also said that there was a bunch of racism in the LAPD and that obviously biased the investigation. And they're like, well, how did the blood get on OJ? And so then the defense team said, well, the blood got on OJ because he just cut himself at home the night of the murders, like as you do. And then he did have two cuts on his left middle finger, which above we heard, you know, that he cut his hand when he got all upset that he learned that Nicole and Ron were murdered. But also, it's like, maybe the prosecution's like, maybe he cut his hand when he was stabbing them. And then the defense is like, maybe he just had two cuts. What do you think of that? I mean, the man was a golfer. It's a heavy sport. So this is what we learned during the trial. Obviously, when you have someone that's stabbed 30 times and another person who's, I'm sorry, again, nearly decapitated, there are going to be large amounts of blood at this crime scene. And almost all of it was Nicole's and Ron's. I mean, that goes without saying. But there were three blood stains near the gate, the rear gate, and five blood drops on Bundy Drive, which is like a walkway leading away from the crime scene um, to like the main street. And those when they were tested, produced DNA profiles that were consistent with O.J. Simpson. Okay, so obviously I have to somehow make this about me. So remember how I told you I went to Mount St. Mary's College and it was up behind the Getty Center in Brentwood. Okay, well, every so often when we were studying late at night, me and my friends would go down to McDonald's late at night, the 24-hour McDonald's, and we would always take Bundy Drive straight down to, I think it was, I think it was Wilshire, but I, honestly, I don't even know. And we would go to the McDonald's right off Bundy. And it wasn't until like a couple months into college when my parents said, oh, well, that's the house Nicole Brown Simpson was murdered in. Oh, well, that's the McDonald's that OJ went to apparently before he killed her. And I was like, whoa. That's a small-ass world. Here I am, just drunk eating cheeseburgers, and here he is doing whatever the fuck he did. It was just one of those small-world things. Anyway, it's no longer about me. Let's talk about the glove. So there's the famous glove, and obviously there's a pair of gloves. So there's a right glove and a left glove. Well, the right glove was found at the crime scene, and it had O.J. Simpson's DNA on it. It was saturated with blood, most of which belonged to, obviously, the victims, Nicole and Ron. There were three samples that were taken by investigators that produced mixed DNA 
consistent with one or both of the victims and O.J. Simpson. So O.J. was in every single sample and either one or both of the victims were also present in the sample, which makes a lot of sense. So the portion of the mixed profile that was consistent, though, with O.J. Simpson's DNA was the only common thing was one little allele, which made the jurors kind of think, well, if it was just one allele, it could have been anyone, which I'm sure they heard extensive evidence on like alleles. But quite frankly, quite frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. But accordingly, the weight to the evidence was not very high. However, the left glove, the matching glove, was found behind O.J. Simpson's guest house. And that glove was also saturated in blood. And tests revealed that DNA belonging to both Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman were both present on that glove. And one of the investigators... Now, remember how I told you that there was that investigator who had that vial at that place in between? Well, this is where he said that while he was doing like this whole testing, that's where the blood kind of spilled, but only because it was moving around in the car. Okay, sure, Jan. Um, The defense argues that the samples taken from the blood drops were destroyed because they were mishandled and like sprinkled around. And it made the jury kind of believe, well, this blood must have been planted. By the way, the guy who was on the prosecution side who was like, doing leading the investigation was an absolute racist buffoon who used the n-word while i mean even while being recorded which is when you know they use the n-word like freely so nobody liked him and everyone thought he was kind of a dick and so everything he said people questioned and especially when this whole blood vial thing happened they were like no 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 this racist sob planted this blood here and i don't blame them I don't blame them at all for thinking that. There was also a pair of socks collected from OJ's house. And DNA tests from the socks that were collected from a little splot of blood on the ankle of one of the socks revealed DNA of Nicole. Mm -hmm. And the prosecution speculated that OJ wore the pair of socks while committing the murder. And it was their case that O.J. disposed of all the clothes while committing the crime, except for the socks, because he didn't know that they had blood on them, which is kind of a good theory. It's like, well, obviously he got rid of all his clothes, which that's what we thought What's-His-Nuts did over in South Carolina, the Murdoch guy, because remember, it was like, well, that none of his clothes had blood on them. Well, who knows? I don't know where he would have put the clothes of this guy, O.J. I don't know the house well enough. Um, but OJ's car was also sampled and samples taken from OJ's car were taken from the console, the steering wheel and the carpet. And the, the sample from the console provided a mix of DNA from Ron and from OJ. But the defense expert like refuted the whole thing and was like this, we can't even consider this because of how willy nilly these this whole investigative team was by controlling the testing or quite frankly, by not controlling the testing and letting blood vials spill and cross community, cross contamination. And the defense rested like a lot of their case 
um, to discount evidence on the basis that all of this was improperly collected, tested, and reported. And the prosecution kind of, in a sense, helped them out because a lot of the mistakes and mishaps, like, they actually did occur during the collection and testing of this evidence. Like, it didn't seem like these people were very careful at all while doing any of this. Um, blood belonging to OJ was found in his driveway and in his foyer. Foyer it was such a funny word. But this is the clip of the um, trying on the glove in the trial. Was there a model or style of glove that you shipped to Bloomingdale's exclusively? Yes. Ms. Bimich, who are you employed by? Bloomingdale's. These are experts who are validating that this glove is a certain type of glove. And this glove exclusive to Bloomingdale's? Yes. Okay. Looking at that glove, can you tell us the name or the style? Uh, the right hand of uh, style 70263. And what style number was that? 70263. Which glove? Eris Leather Light Glove. By the way, you guys can't see, but when she said that, her head totally jilted like, duh, moron. Extra large, the Bloomingdale's purchase. Approximately 300. Have you ever seen it sold anywhere in the world other than in Bloomingdale's? No, I have not. Is that a Bloomingdale's credit card sales receipt? Yes. So the gloves I showed you in court today then fit the descriptions uh, given on this sales receipt? Yes. And is there a signature on the uh, credit card receipt? Yes. Can you read that signature to us? Nicole Brown. So they're showing that Nicole Brown bought this specific glove that was found from Bloomingdale's before the murder. And then the prosecutor's like, what a, hey, OJ, why don't you go ahead and just try this on? And the defense like, and okay. You can see I'll ask Mr. Simpson to stand. That's people 77. So he's feigning an attempt to try on this glove, pulling it on. He's being walked over to in front of the jury between two bailiffs, pulling on this thing. He has rubber gloves on under. Mind you, these are the actual gloves that are allegedly covered and saturated in blood of two murder victims. So, he's weirdly comfortable putting it on. I would be like, Gil. This is uh, People's 164A. Is that the right-hand glove? All right. Now, to me, these gloves look like they fit. But Mr. Naked Gun is, like, struggling. Struggling to get these on. It's like, you guys, he's an actor. He's a thespian. Of course he's struggling to get the fucking glove on. And he's like, see, all my fingers are here. One, two, three, four, five. And the glove, it's just, it doesn't fit. What are you gonna do? Show him the gloves. Look at all this not fitting. All right. Thank you, counsel. So that was OJ trying on the glove. Very, 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 very interesting. Of course, the glove was also, like, huge in the closing argument. Like, both people get to put on a closing argument, the prosecution and the defense. This is the infamous part of the defense's closing argument, if the glove, if it doesn't fit. I present to you, if it doesn't fit. 
by Johnny Cochran. Last night, about this case and their theory and how it didn't make any sense and how it didn't fit and how something is wrong, it occurred to me how they were going to come here and stand up here and tell you how O.J. Simpson was going to disguise himself was going to put on a knit cap and some dark clothes and he was going to get in his white bronco and this recognizable person and go over and kill his wife. That's what they want you to believe. That's how silly their argument is. And I said to myself, maybe I can demonstrate this graphically. I'm going to show you something. This is a knit cap. I'm going to put this knit cap on. And you've been seeing me for a year. If I put this knit cap on, who am I? I'm still Johnny Cochran with a knit cap. I'm Johnny Cochran with you a knit look cap. I love that. OJ Simpson over there, and he has a rather large head. Big headed OJ Simpson in a knit cap from two blocks away is still OJ Simpson. It's no disguise. It's no disguise. It makes no sense. It doesn't fit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. It reminded me that there was testimony early on that uh, Detective Lang had uh, refused basically to pick up a knit cap inside the Brown residence uh, that was shown to him, I think by some of the lawyers and one of the investigators on that date, because these are fairly common. But they don't really disguise anybody who's noticeable, do they? And although I was the guinea pig here this afternoon, if you were to put a knit cap on, how's that going to disguise you? We've been together. I'd know your face anywhere now. And you'd know mine. And the people in Brentwood, in West Los Angeles, would know O.J. Simpson. I they agree know with his that. Car. They know him. That's where he lives. Even the prosecutors say he's so famous that he can't go anywhere where he wouldn't be recognized. Yeah, so that's the closing argument. And I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't know this. That whole entire trial... It lasted 11 months, and those jurors were sequestered for 11 months. And there's a great little episode of, like, We the Jury. I think it's called on, I think it's on Oxygen, and I just watched it. It was so good. It was some of the jurors who were on this jury who delivered the verdict of not guilty. No surprise. I'm not spoiling it. And they talk about what it was like for them and how they felt like they were in prison and they were sort of like treated like prisoners during this whole entire time. And they, when they wanted exercise, the cops would be like, just go walk in a circle and like just crazy, crazy, crazy. I mean, crazy. You should watch this, but it might not be a surprise to you after you watch it. Why this, this jury didn't deliberate for very long. I think they deliberated for a couple hours and then they came unanimously to the decision that this man, there was a reasonable doubt as to his guilt. And this is that moment. And also just pay special attention because, of course, there is someone doing my pet fucking peeve. All right, Mr. Car Mr. Uh, Simpson, would you please stand and face the jury? This is Robertson. 
Superior Court of California, County of Los Angeles, in the matter of the people of the state of California versus Orenthal James Simpson, case number BA097211. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant Orenthal James Simpson not guilty of the crime of murder. Did you hear the cheer? It might have sounded like a sneeze. It might have sounded like a sneeze, but no. That is another man cheering in court. Defendant Orenthal James Simpson not guilty of the crime of murder. In Are you kidding? Section 187A, a felony upon Nicole Brown Simpson, a human being, as charged in count one of the information. I mean, the murder victim's parents were in the gallery. It's just so distasteful. Superior Court of the State of California, County of Los Angeles, in the matter of the people of the State of California versus Orenthal James Simpson. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony upon Ronald Lyle Goldman, a human being, as charged in count two of the information. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, further find the special circumstance that the defendant, Orthal James Simpson, has in this case been convicted of at least one crime of murder of the first degree and one or more crimes of murder of the first or second degree to be not true. Signed this second day of October 1995, juror 230. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is this your verdict? So say you one, so say you all. All right, counsel, Mr. Simpson, would you be seated, please? Let's have a quiet So please. that is the end of that. But, of course, these families know that this man fucking did it, so they sue him civilly. And in civil court, they find out that, you know, there is a little wrongful death here at the hands of O.J., and he was ordered to pay $33.5 million dollars. And in today's money, that's $62.4 million. And to my understanding, OJ has paid little to none of this restitution to the victim's families. Um, in this trial, there were no televisions, nothing. Not even a sketch artist was allowed in the courtroom. And there were parts of this letter that Nicole wrote to OJ. I'll link it on the website that were read aloud for the jury. And they said, quote, OJ, I think I have to put this all in a letter. I'd like you to keep this letter if we split. I'd also like you to keep it if we stay together as a reminder. You beat the holy hell out of me, and we lied to the x-ray lab and said I fell off a bike. Remember? Miss Simpson also refers to the New Year's Eve beat-up as reference to the 1989 fight that we talked about above. She says, I called the cops to save my life, whether you believe it or not. Her letter concluded, I've never loved you since or been the same. Which, I mean, can you blame her? No. OJ actually testified in this trial. He testified about like 30 new pairs, new pictures that show him wearing this certain shoe called Bruno Magali. And these are the shoe footprints, like the footprint that they found in all the blood was from this kind of shoe. And in the criminal trial, he's like, nope, never had a pair of shoes like that. But in the deposition, when they took his deposition for the civil trial, he tried to say the same thing. And the lawyer taking his deposition goes, oh, really? And pulls up a picture of him wearing those shoes 
before the murder. So he obviously had them. Sus. So um, he took the stand and right before he left the stand, his own lawyer asked him about the killings. And his lawyer asked, on June 12th, 1994, did you, with the children in the house, upstairs, in the bedroom, murder your ex-wife and leave her body where the kids could find it? And OJ says, absolutely not. Well, that jury unanimously found OJ liable for the wrongful death and battery against Goldman and Nicole. Um, his Heisman, that little trophy that everyone thinks is so cool, was auctioned for like half a half a million dollars to cover some of this. Um, and in September of 2006, Ron Goldman's father took OJ back to court and was like, listen, I want all the rights to publicity because you owe us so much money. Like we should be the ones able to make money off of this and not you. And so the judge granted a restraining order that was like, look, OJ, you're not allowed to spend any advances from any books or any of that, yada, 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 and none of that for any of this stuff. And the calf- it, got, it ended up getting dismissed because it was filed in the wrong jurisdiction. But thankfully, it was refiled, and the California judge was like, you know what? Correct. I'm issuing that restraining order. And they restricted his spending to, like, only an ordinary living expense so that he could satisfy some of this judgment. Um, And in March of 2017, a judge ordered that OJ wasn't allowed to receive any income from a book and and auctioned the book deal rights off. And the bankruptcy court actually ended up awarding the book rights to Ron Goldman's family to satisfy this judgment. Now, the book was called If I Did It, but after the rights were awarded to the Goldman family and the cover was redone, they made the if really super little, and so basically the cover is like, I did it, Confessions of a Killer, and in the book, it is completely crazy what this guy admits to, that pretty much people are like, this is a confession, Um, but O.J. Simpson's attorney They're all like, no, this is alleged. It's all a hypothetical. All hypothetical. Um, But this is what OJ says in this book. He calls Nicole the enemy and expresses outrage that she would flirt openly with other men in front of their children. And he even admits that on June 12th, he was like seething with rage, seething with rage um, the day of the double murder. So he says that after he ate that meal at Mickey D's with Cato, Simpson, he wore a dark sweatsuit. He went over to Nicole's house and parked in the alley and like got all suited up in like a wool cap and those gloves. And he grabbed a knife that he usually keeps in his Bronco because this is all just like a big Bronco advertisement in real life, which I think we should look into that conspiracy wise. But he keeps this knife in his Bronco and he goes and he gets it. And according to this hypothetical situation, OJ hypothetically intends only to scare her. Like, no, no, I didn't mean to kill her. I just want to scare her. Okay, you pretty much decapitated her allegedly, but whatever. So according to OJ's hypothetical, he hypothetically sees Ron Goldman arriving at the condo. This really tracks with the story from 
that we talked about at the beginning where he came to drop those sunglasses back off. So OJ accuses Ron of planning to sleep with Nicole. Obviously, I mean, he's a jealous, he's a jealous man. He's like, you're trying to fuck her? Boo, I'm angry. And Ron Goldman is like, no, dude, I'm just dropping off these sunglasses. And Nicole comes out and tells OJ, hey, leave him alone. He's just returning these sunglasses. But the dog, Cato, named after the friend who just went to Mickey D's with OJ, like when he sees Ron, starts wagging his tail. And of course, crazy people, like a hypothetical OJ in this situation, takes that as a fact, like, oh, well, obviously Ron and Nicole are fucking because this dog wagged his tail. Like, how crazy are you? Pretty fucking crazy. Um, And then Simpson starts yelling, allegedly, at Ron, you've been here before. And then according to OJ's hypothetical, Nicole starts charging at OJ like a banshee. And in the meantime, she falls and smacks her head on the concrete. Now, later in a taped interview, not in the book, but it was a taped interview that was used to promote the book that really was actually never aired. So this is like secret footage. Um, But the New York Times actually obtained a partial transcript of this. So this is how we get this information. Apparently, OJ said that um, this guy got into a karate thing and I remember I grabbed a knife. So, apparently, Ron Goldman got into a karate stance and OJ got out his little Bronco knife. He was asked in the interview whether he removed his glove before grabbing the knife. And OJ says, you know, I had no conscious memory of doing that. But, obviously, I must have because they found a glove there. And then Simpson hypothetically describes himself as soaked in blood and holding a bloody knife with Goldman and Nicole dead in front of him. Then, allegedly, O.J. Simpson stripped Nicky Wakey down to his socks and then got back in the Bronco. And what happened with the rest of the buddy clothes, like, nobody fucking knows where they went, where they come from, where did they go, where are the bloody murder clothes? Nobody knows. But the socks were in the bedroom back at his house. So he must have driven naked. Naked, naked, naked. Sex crime, I'm just saying. So then he sees the limo parked in front of his house. He's like, fuck, I'm supposed to go to Chicago. This guy's here. Fuck. And he's like sneaking around the side yard and he bumps into an air conditioner. That must have been like a loud noise that Cato testifies because it's right by Cato's room who still lives with OJ because they're all friends, you know. He testified that he heard like a loud noise and OJ testifies in his little fake confession hypothetical book that he ran into the air conditioner next to his room. I'm just saying it lines up. In O.J. Simpson's story, he actually places a second man named Charlie with him at the scene of the murders. And Simpson reports that Charlie actually tried to stop Simpson from doing what he was doing. But obviously he didn't because those people are are dead and O.J. didn't kill him allegedly. So now we need to talk about the morally corrupt Faye Resnick. Why was Faye Resnick so morally corrupt? Well, we know she wrote a book right after this whole murder. What I didn't know was that the book was called Nicole Brown Simpson, 
The Private Diary of a Life Interrupted, wherein she basically just, like, spills the beans of everything Nicole Brown has ever told her in confidence. Like, what a bad friend. According to Vanity Fair, this is a sentence that Vanity Fair wrote about Faye Resnick. Ready? Before she was a famous housewife or a character on The People vs. O.J. Simpson, Resnick was a three-times-divorced former manicurist with a drug problem who was wrapped up in the trial of a century. Yikes. Yikesy, yikesy, yikes. So the back of the book, like that back book cover that tells all about what's in the book, is very, very, very interesting. And this is what is on the back of The Private Diary of a Life Interrupted, Faye's book. Okay. Fearing for her life, Faye D. Resnick, as a confidant of OJ, wherever he and his ex-wife fought, went into hiding to write Nicole's story. Her phones were tapped, private journals and photographs were stolen from her home, and veiled threats were made by private investigators and OJ's defense team. Desperate to find another suspect, they spread slanderous theories that purportedly tied Faye to the murders. Now, the truth about Nicole is revealed by the only person except OJ himself who knew the real story. How OJ raged out of control just two days before he bought the now infamous stiletto knife and told Faye over and over, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her if I find her with another man. That same day, Nicole told Faye, OJ loves me so much he's going to kill me and get away with it. Six days before the murders, a furious OJ panicked Nicole by threatening to inform the IRS about a tax problem that could force her and their children out of the home that they loved. Five days before their death, a frightened Nicole told Faye that OJ had stolen the spare keys to her condo. How Nicole committed one sexual taboo that OJ had forbidden. It's more than sensational. It's the touching, intimate portrayal portrait of a devoted wife and a mother molded from age 17 by a charismatic American hero who always showed the world the happy, smiling face he drew on and his so-called suicide note, but beat her savagely behind closed doors. Ooh, brutal. Newly revealed secrets, how OJ left her beaten near naked in a Las Vegas hotel corridor, OJ's boast of his sexual revenge against the man he raged against in the headline-making 911 tape, how Nicole's frog phobia doomed the reconciliation when OJ became, quote, frogman, the bizarre story of the thumb ring found next to Nicole's body, identical to the one worn by Faye, and it's the heartbreak of a woman who tried desperately to return what she thought was her husband's total love. And her final realization that it wasn't love, but a hellish obsession. Details of the 35-minute phone call Nicole had with Faye during the final moments of her life. It is an unexpected love story about two women who formed a bond so strong even death couldn't break it. And how they teamed up in a futile, last-ditch effort to save the life of Nicole Brown Simpson. It's an angry cry for help. Help for women trapped in the brutal prison of abuse from men who claimed to love them. Nicole Brown Simpson was known as a strong woman by her friends and family. But Faye D. Resnick, who was an abused child, 
has learned one powerful lesson from writing this book. Strength should never be equated with keeping silent about abuse. Sadly, it's a lesson Nicole never learned. That's why she'd want you to read her story. Like, if that is not so sensationalized, I don't know what is. Like, wow, Faye, wow. I can see why she was called the morally corrupt Faye Resnick because that is exploitative. Okay? Exploitative. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So in 2007, there was also a robbery and kidnapping in Las Vegas and Nevada, <laughs> Las Vegas and Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada, where OJ led a group of men um, to a room at the Palace Station Hotel and Casino where they were like going to take all this memorabilia back that belonged to OJ at gunpoint. Um, OJ admitted to taking the items, but he said they had been stolen from him. And in January 2008, OJ was arrested in Florida, taken back to Las Vegas, and convicted and sentenced to 33 years with a minimum of nine years without parole. He actually was granted parole in 2017, in July 2017. He was released in October 17 and granted release from parole in December 2021. So OJ's out here a free man and it is just so scary. It's just so scary. So um, we all just better be careful not to piss off OJ. And, you know, that whole confession part was alleged. That was just what he wrote in his little book. And that's the end of that. I was shocked to find out that this is how crazy the story was. I didn't know it was 11 months of a trial. I really do implore you to watch the documentary about the jurors because the way those people were treated, I mean, they must have like PTSD for real. For real. Okay, before we go, I just need to give my criminal behavior. And that is... I'm. When you're walking your dog, you have to put your dog on a fucking leash. And when people don't put their dog on a leash, they're like, oh, no, my dog's good. My dog's good. It's like, maybe your dog's good, but my dog is scared. Or maybe my dog is aggressive. Or maybe you should just have your dog on a leash. It just drives me crazy. And it's usually people with big dogs who are like, oh, she's just super friendly. Oh, that's just 
River. She's super friendly. And it's like, maybe she's super friendly, but now my dog just shot everywhere in fear. It's just way too much. Like, I don't care if your dog's Clifford the Big Red Dog. Put it on a leash unless it's in your backyard or a designated dog park. It's criminal. Go to jail. I think there are actually laws about that, too. So I'm just saying. Anyway, go ahead, follow me on Instagram, head over to the website, check it out, and subscribe, rate, and review. This is really fun. Stay tuned. I don't know what I'm recording next week, so stay tuned. It'll be Allegedly Bravo podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by Lauren Peavy House. Allegedly Bravo is available anywhere you listen to podcasts and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps me out. This podcast is made available by the lawyer or legal expert for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there's no attorney-client relationship between you and the podcast publisher. Allegedly Bravo podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. Got it?